In an era where we rush to praise and worship, how can scripture help us grieve and lament? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Paul Kennedy and Glenn Powell. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different because this is Glenn's first episode back with us in about six months. Back in late April, we were actually recording a podcast with Andy Crouch. And if you listened to part two of our conversation, you may have noticed that Glenn was absent from the last part of that episode. And we didn't know it at the time, but that moment was the very beginning of a very difficult summer for Glenn and for his family. So Today, Glenn's going to share what's been going on, and we're also going to discuss what the Bible has to say about lament, pain, and suffering. So, Glenn, I'll hand it over to you to share some of what's been happening over the last few months. Yeah, thank you, Alex. This has been a trial for sure. I'll never forget that day um, when, you know, it's so strange. We were recording a podcast and Jane came stumbling into the room which of course she knows not to do because we're recording. Um, but she just fell against the wall and went down. And that was the beginning of a short, just two month long uh, journey of uh, pain and suffering, kind of ending in her death. Um, but I do want to thank you guys because uh, you've been so gracious and supportive for me through this time. Uh, giving me the time off and first to care for Jane and then to grieve for her. So, um, yeah, I just want to briefly tell you um, what happened without going into all the all the detail, which is not necessary here. But just to give you a glimpse into what life can do. One of the last things Jane ever wrote, um, I think it was the last thing she ever wrote, was a Facebook post. When we left the hospital and uh, she decided to go into hospice care, and she said, look, life is hard. Sometimes life is so hard it crushes you. And I thought, that's exactly what has happened here. So that day, April 27, when we were recording that podcast and I had to leave early, um, we we took her straight to ER, and she went into the hospital for a week, and they didn't know what it was. So they're doing tests, you know, blood tests, MRIs, trying everything. One doctor thinks that she has a TIA, you know, this little mini stroke. Another doctor was convinced it was COVID. Her oxygen levels were really low, so they got her on oxygen, of course, and she was there for a week. And the diagnosis never really changed, which is... Uh, kind of a strange thing. And um, it doesn't seem like it was definitive. So they didn't know what else to do. So they just sent us home with oxygen and then said, um, follow up with your primary care doctor. So we did that um, the very next week. So she checks out like on a Saturday. The next week we have an appointment with her primary care doctor. And she looks at her blood work and says, wow, we need to get you a transfusion immediately. Your red blood count is off. Your your all your platelets are off. Everything is low. You need a transfusion immediately. And I'm going to get you in to see a blood specialist who also 
you know, of course, is an oncologist, a cancer doctor. So we get those appointments set up. And, you know, long story short, for weeks, she's getting transfusions. We're kind of in and out of the hospital emergency room or just to the blood center to get transfusions. They're kind of building up her blood. We don't really have an official diagnosis yet. Um, she's consistently tested negative for COVID. She's fully vaccinated. So none of us, except for this one doctor in the hospital, really believe that she has COVID. Um, but we're not sure what's causing her blood problem. So we get into the specialist. We schedule a biopsy, a bone marrow biopsy. Um, everything, of course, takes time. So you're losing days and weeks. Um, we lost the first week in the hospital because they didn't, they didn't really pursue what the blood work kind of indicated they should have pursued. Um, that is the possibility of leukemia. So, you know, you send the, the test out. It actually goes to three different places. And then sh the results come back not until June 8th. So it's been from April 27, where we first had an inkling of something being wrong to June 8, when we get the definitive diagnosis of acute leukemia. So from that point on, it's, it's heavy duty. She faces a choice of, you know, all out chemo warfare, or a, a gentler kind of chemo treatment that that isn't meant to defeat it, but simply to push it back to uh, give her more time. Of course, it's a very deadly disease. So um, you're facing a crisis. Um, and so June 8, um, 20 days later, um, she dies. And hmm. the last week is in the hospital, and they're trying to start the chemo, but it's kind of already overwhelmed her body. And she's fighting, and, and then she says, it's okay. Um, this is enough, and I just want to go home. I don't want to die in a hospital. So we did that. And I thought, you know, I'm a Bible guy. Um, I spent my whole career trying to get people to read the Bible, telling people the Bible can help them in all of life, up and down. It's the story that we enter, all this great stuff. And I thought, you know what this is? This is a test. This is a test for me personally of everything I thought I believed about the Bible, and um, this is real experience. This is a real trial. It's a real challenge, and um, I have to see if what I say about the Bible is true when life throws the hardest thing at you. So this is what's what's happened to me. And I think, you know, Jane kind of ended with this really strong sense of peace and calm. Um, you know, for my part, I'm, I'm kind of losing it, falling apart. And, um, she, I think God's spirit was with her and, and just strengthened her and gave her peace. But, um, as I was thinking about this in the month of July and after, um, I really came to appreciate parts of the Bible that I think are neglected in our Christian life, um, in many churches and for many people. And that is, it's, there's, there are a lot of stories in the Bible about people whose life was really hard, and then it ends in hardness. 
And I think there's there's a certain kind of spirituality out there that says, you know, um, all the stories end well. All God is going to come through at the end, and that's what faith is about. And it's wrong to kind of not expect that or see that. And and maybe there's even a problem with you if you don't if you're not finding that or experiencing that. And I think the Bible just isn't like that. The Bible is truer to life. And there are a lot of stories in the Bible about people who experienced hardship and it doesn't go away and it's not resolved. Things don't get better and then they die. And I think we have not done justice to that part of the Bible. So what I hope we can do today is talk about the place of lament within the scriptures which I now have a renewed appreciation for, yeah. given the journey, you know, that I've been on. And, and I think it can be helpful to people who haven't been bringing their lament into their Christian life because, um, you know, we, we don't really make room for it. And I think the Bible, this is where the Bible can be a corrective for us. The Bible is truer to life than sometimes we are in our spiritual teaching, our experiences at church. Etc. And I think reading the Bible, paying attention closely to the whole breadth of the stories that are in the Bible, can be healing and helpful for us because it's true. It's just truer to real life. Glenn, thank you for your uh, vulnerability in sharing that with us and uh, in sharing uh, Jane's story. Uh, I think that's going to be a comfort to many of our listeners right now, mm -hmm. many of who are feeling like they're kind of drowning in the sorrows and the tension of this particular existential moment that we find ourselves in where people mm -hmm. are being torn apart uh, by not theology so much, but ideologies. And it's touching every part of us. You know, it's uh, fracturing churches, uh, kids that play on you know, little league baseball teams, parents are at odds with each other. And of course, it's invaded our, our families in a very personal way. And so there's a, there's a lot of hurt that's going on. And Glenn, you posted something on Facebook, uh, and you've been honest about this, um, a, a picture, an image of a person who's underwater. And mm. um, you, you kind of get the sense that the person is drowning. And as we've kind of walked with you a little bit through this, um, it feels like that's been indeed your case. And um, we're, we're grateful for sharing that. Um, we're glad to have you back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's good Ale to be back. Al Alex and I have been trying to hold the fort down, but um, there's, no, um, there's no substitute for someone who has spent decades of their life invested in trying to understand what the Bible is and what we're to do with it. So we're, we're grateful for that. But, you know, you made it clear to us when you, you said, guys, I think I'm ready to share this, that you, you didn't want this to simply be um, all about you and, and Jane, but you wanted it to be something of a platform to talk about lament. And, you know, as we've, as we've thought about that, you know, lament is a very specific way of relating to God. And it's a way that, um, sadly, is sometimes missed through our superficial reading of Scripture. And if people are hurting, and we think people are right now going through tons of pain, um, 
it ends up diminishing our relationship with God. If we only know how to relate to him through praise and worship, which is what? That's that's kind of the category of what we mm. do. You know, when we come to church, we, we sing praise and worship songs. Then when praise and worship is is something that is just can't even live within us because of the depth of our hurt and sometimes despair, then how do you relate to God? And fortunately, the scriptures talk about that, and it's something that we've called lament. And I, you know, I think we'll forego the definition of it right now. But you know, mm-hmm. you see it throughout Scripture. You see the psalmist saying, "My God, My God, you know, why have you forsaken me?" And then Jesus borrows that from the psalmist on the cross, like he's you know so overwhelmed that he can't even come up with something original. And and so you know, sometimes it's something where someone is actually calling out to God. Um, other times, you know, it's just people who are drowning in their sorrows, um, who are tormented and they curse other things. You know, Jeremiah and Job curse bitterly the day that they were born. And, you know, Job curses the night he was conceived. (laughs) May the day of my birth be stricken from the calendar. And people who are experts in cursing things, please curse this day. I mean, it's a powerful... Um, almost spewing forth of of enormous enormous pain. So anyhow, wow, that, wait, that's really something. Experts in cursing things. It's like they they made room in their culture for people to do this officially. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, maybe we need to just begin real quickly by lamenting our lack of lament, and that this mm. doesn't exist in a healthy way in our contemporary, you know, uh, contemporary faith expressions. And, you know, I think other generations have done better with this. I mean, I think of Negro spirituals, uh, uh, people who, I mean, how can you describe the horror of, of that? And, you know, but they found songs, you know, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Oh yes, Lord. Sometimes I'm almost to the ground, you know, oh yes, Mm -hmm. Lord. And I think maybe we need some new songs. And some new prayers to go along with, uh, with with our praise and and our worship, and you know we turn again now to the scriptures for what that looks like. Yeah, that's amazing, Paul, and I think we kind of have this de facto thing where celebration and praise and thanksgiving, those can be public. We do that together in church. Um, but if you have sorrow or lament, um, you're you're pretty much expected to, to just deal with that home and alone, I think. Um, it's interesting that in Israel's worship songbook, the Book of Psalms, one-third of the Psalms fully are songs of lament. Now, it's true that many of them end on a positive note because God comes through in some amazing way and rescues the person who is lamenting. Um, But I want to make the point that it's not just individual songs of lament. There are also communal songs of lament. So worship in Israel communally had place for lament. I mean, when was the last time you were in church and you sang a communal song of lament? We just don't create space for that as if it doesn't really belong in our churches. And I think, yes, I've heard the response, well, it's because in the time of Christ and after, 
the great victory has been won, so it's not really appropriate anymore. But the fact is, the New Testament talks about what's already been accomplished and what is not yet accomplished. And since there is still a not yet, I think lament still has a place in the story because because the tragedies continue to happen. Also, there are some of the songs, like Psalm 88, powerful one, which doesn't end with things getting better, you know, at the closing of the song. He says, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. So we're kind of set up to think, okay, God is going to come through. But the very last words of the song is, sadly, darkness is my closest friend. So there is no happy ending. There is no resolution. There's no making everything better. The psalmist in this case just has to sit with his sadness and his darkness and his fear and his brokenness. You know, we call them songs of lament, but we might just as accurately call them psalms of crisis. These are songs about life coming apart at the seams, songs about threats and dangers, agony and failure. It was Martin Luther who said, What is the greatest thing in the Psalter but this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind? Hmm. And again, I just think it's, it is so great for us that the Bible is so real. The Bible is honest about what life is really like, and it takes whatever is happening and it brings it to God. And I think that's, that's the big message that I think we need to, to learn today is that the Bible has a legitimate place for lament in the story, and lament is bringing it to God. That's what lament is all about. And you know, these stories are all over the place. I mean, think about the Israelites who lived in the 400 years before the Exodus. They were born into slavery and suffering, they lived in slavery and suffering, and they died in slavery and suffering, and never saw the redemption. Think about the women who lived under patriarchy and whose lives were never fully acknowledged as being as worthy as those of the men. Think of all the slaves who were mistreated, who toiled unendingly without respect. Think of people like Naboth, who just had the misfortune of being living next to the palace where King Ahab lived, who looked down and saw his vineyard, and then had him falsely accused in court stoned to death just so the king could get his vineyard, right? And there's no happy ending for people like this in the story. Think of the, the Israelites who were taken to Babylon who didn't live to get to see the return to the land of Israel. These unfinished stories, these painful stories, which close in suffering, they're all over the place in the Bible, but we just don't talk about them much. We don't acknowledge that they're there and I think there is, an, there is an unfinished aspect to so many of the stories of God's people in the Bible that is looking forward to something to come, for sure. But we have to give the, the truth its full weight that they died not yet receiving what they had been promised or had hoped for. And so this is, this is powerful stuff. And I'll just close with this one from the story of Tamar, which is in the book of Samuel Kings, King David's daughter. Um, you know the horrific tale of Amnon, her, her half-brother, who wants to be with her, so he conspires a way to fake illness, and she comes and brings him food. 
And then he takes her and he rapes her. And the, the story ends with the line, Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Because from that point on, her whole life has now been ruined. And it makes a point of saying, you know, she wore the ornate robes, the beautifully decorated robes that all the king's virgin daughters wore. But at the end of the story, she tears her robe and then lives in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. And that's the end of the story of Tamar, as far as we hear. The last word is, she lived a desolate life in her brother's house. And so these stories are there. We just need to give them their due and realize that our stories of pain and suffering, insofar as they are not yet fully resolved either, that we can bring that to God just like the Bible does. Yeah, Glenn, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier about the life of Jesus and how there are these parts of it that are healings and uh, restorations, driving out demons and restoring people. But there's also this huge kind of weight of sadness and grief over the course of his whole life as well. You know, it's not just music mm -hmm. and confetti mm -hmm. the whole time. Um, you know, there's that that powerful story of him going to visit Lazarus, his friend who had fallen ill and died, and he weeps. And I don't think he weeps just purely out of empathy for Mary and Martha or, you know, some sort of half-hearted weeping because he knew in the back of his mind that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I think, you know, the text says more than once that he was deeply moved. And I think he he grieved mm -hmm. the death of his friend for real and what it meant about the hope of the world not yet realized. Yeah, Jesus was a lamenter. <laughs> There's no no question um, about it. And I think we should even think in terms of our discipleship. Um, if we're going to follow him fully, um, we should expect to experience some of the bitter disappointment that he experienced, uh, but then also uh, to process that, if you will, that sounds kind of clinical, but uh, through through mourning and through grieving and through lament as he did at the cross and, and other places. Uh, there's another uh, New Testament passage that we oftentimes read with exaltation, but there's a dark side to it as well. And it's kind of that famous section in the end of Hebrews that talks about the heroes of the faith. And if you read that carefully, there's actually two lists of people that are that are called out. And I'm going to read it mm. a minute, and I'm going to stop after the first list and acknowledge the second list. So it says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised in the present tense. Mm -hmm. I think that's what that is mm -hmm. saying. Yes. Uh, they shut the mouths of lions, uh, a.k.a. Daniel, quenched the fury of the flame, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life. End of the first list. Mm -hmm. Here's the introduction to the second list. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that they only together with us would be made perfect. And so, you know, I think it's the point that we're making all along. There is a group of people who are acknowledged in this text, who are acknowledged in their lives. You know, David, you know, marches back into Jerusalem and people are cheering and, uh, you know, throwing a parade. But there was another group of people who lived faithfully and devotedly, and they came to an end, an inglorious end in many cases, with very little to, to show for it. And so, you know, list one has famous names, battles won, corks popped. List two, it's interesting, there are no names. Hmm. Um, in list one, you know, the lion's mouths are shut. In list two, the lions win. Yeah. And this is, this is a, there's a shadow side, if you will, to, um, to this. And, you know, Glenn, maybe you can help, help us wrap this up uh, wow. so that we don't sound like Debbie Downer here, because it isn't a Debbie Downer story. But um, for those people who maybe today are even listening and they're struggling mightily, and we know that in this particular point, we have people walking away from the faith because they just don't know what to say to God anymore. And, um, you know, this, this may be, may be some light for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I do think it's, uh, no, I was just going to say quickly, I think it, it is, uh, that Hebrews passage is really, really interesting because it includes both sides. And, you know, the stories we so often tell when people share stories are the, the stories from the first list. Right. And, and even we discovered, you know, in our cancer story, those are the stories of the fighters, the ones who wouldn't give up, who faced the, the long chemo treatments, and then they prevailed. And, you know, we realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to be Jane's story. Um, yeah. She wasn't going to be the heroic fighter, you know, who made it to the end and defeated the cancer. Um, so she's in the second part of that passage. She's in the second list for sure. Um, but she, her story and those kinds of stories and all the people out there who have stories of their own loss and brokenness, um, those stories are part of the biblical story, and we have to find a way to make sure we verbalize them, give people permission to verbalize them, and bring that into the bigger, grander story, which is heading to a positive, hopeful place. But we have to have these stories along the way and give people permission to be honest about them, about where they are until then. Yeah, I think that's a helpful word because I think our emphasis on praise and worship is kind of living in that post-resurrection world and how we emphasize we know we know how the story ends and it's a hope-filled ending, um, but that kind of just steps on the toes and gets in the way of the the not yet part of that story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a way to have lament and hope live together. This isn't simply about depression and pain and agony, and that's the last word. 
But we have to realize for some people, it, it appears to be the last word for now, right? Mm-hmm. So in the phrase of Hebrews, that those who have not yet received what has been promised, I think that's the category of Jane's story, right? She's a Psalm 88 kind of person. Yeah. Um, I mean, she had other hardships. I didn't go into the details, but she came into this illness already with um, some huge burdens to carry from her family. Um, her father had recently died just before her and other things. And I think these stories in the scriptures can help us um, be, be honest about life. Um, my wife, Jane, died a hard death with many things going wrong all around her. Uh, medical insurance things failed her. Hospice failed her at the end. Um, her first hospital stay, they failed her in many ways. And this is why we lament. This is why I have had to have a season of lament. We lament because of the not yet part of the story. And um, what I'm doing at the end of all this, I think, is just taking my cues from Jane herself, who kind of ended in a place of great peace and in hopeful longing. I mean, when she knew she was dying, um, the Lord gave her peace. And I think I kind of was trying to to live off of her hope and peace because she knew where her ultimate story was going, even as her story now, you know, was coming to a tragic close. And so I want us to be the way the New Testament is. I want us to hold the already, the victory, the, the, the triumph of Christ on the cross, and the hope of a resurrection. His resurrection has already happened. The first fruits have already happened. Ours is yet to come. And so we live in this time of tension, and I just want us to be honest to the tension and give the already its due, but also the not yet, the things that have not yet happened. And because there's a not yet in the story, according to the entire eschatology of the New Testament, we have to have a place for lament in what we bring to God. Hmm. I think that's a good word to end on. And uh, Glenn, we're, of course, all grateful for your willingness to join us today um, to put those headphones back on and, and get on the podcast platform with us and, and share the journey that you've been on for these last few months. I know Paul and I and our, our team have walked it with you. Um, and, and we're glad that our listeners can, can hear what has been going on. And, um, and, and I speak for our whole team and, and, of course, many of our listeners when I say that it's a privilege to continue praying for you as you walk through this season of, of lament and, and grief. Um, so for our listeners, this is the first of two episodes that we're going to do on this idea of lament in the scriptures. And so our next episode is going to be on the great book of lament, Lamentations, which I think is everybody's favorite read, right? But, um, but your homework mm-hmm. is to, uh, to go ahead and read the whole book. It takes about 20 minutes or so. And, uh, and next episode, we're going to dive into that book and, and share what it means both for lament, but also right there in the middle is that nugget of hope. So, um, so go ahead and read that before next episode, if, if you like to have some homework and, uh, and we'll jump into that next episode. 
Finally, Jane always had a passion for, for helping people that are considered the least of these. So if any of our listeners would like to make a gift in her memory, I'll go ahead and put a link to Preemptive Love, which is a refugee service organization down in the show notes, and feel free to make a gift to them on her behalf. For now, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.